0: Hey, how are you, huh? You know, many of these houses they call dotches. This is the home that many people will come all the way from Moscow, hours and hours and hours to have their own little private place where they can raise some animals, have some farmland to grow vegetables, fruits and other things, spend a week or two or three, and then go back to the city. In late March, the snow begins to melt in central and northern Russia. In the city, the snow is already gone. With the bright sunshine and the coming of spring, many dwellers of Russian cities and smaller towns begin to prepare for the new dacha season. Dachas are part of the lifestyle, a favorite hobby for many. More than just a hobby to some, and almost an occupation for millions, it's mother nature combined in a unique prescription for stress relief. It's recreation combined with countrywide vegetable and fruit growing. In a country where so many people consider themselves poor, there are tens of millions of landowners. Moscow and other cities are deserted during summer weekends. Most of these people don't own cars, so Friday evening and Saturday morning are rush hours for buses and local trains that carry millions of Muscovites every weekend to their dachas out of the city. Let's open the door in the fence and enter the land of the dacha. Told that almost 30% of the people, not only in Moscow, but in other major cities, also have their own little dacha. Their place away from home, or their home away from home. So, what is a dacha? It's just a cabin, sometimes a shack. This is the place where the retired people find the hobby of their life. Orchards, gardens, farming. Where the working people come during the weekends to take a breath of fresh air, to experience physical labor digging, weeding, and watering plants. The fresh produce grown here make for very tasty and healthy meals. Usually they start with an empty patch of land. Datches for rest only are very rare, so it's a resort and a farm a place to rest, and a place to work. There are no telephones, no hot water, except what you boil on the gas stove, and people use outhouses and makeshift showers instead of city-style bathrooms. Retired people usually move to the dacha for the entire season. And that season in Central Russia begins in May and lasts until October. But already in February, when it's still frost and snow outside, dacha fanatics are on the move, growing tomato seedlings and other vegetables to be replanted in early May when there's no more threat of night frosts. These country havens inspire both artists and writers. The beauty of creation can be seen by all who live in the country and is captured by artists to enjoy year round.
1: You know, the cities are so congested and their apartments are, are so close and clustered together that it's uh, not the most beautiful ambience for living in the city.
0: It'd be great in the US if we could actually have a country home and a city All home, right.
1: But I guess they have plenty of land here in this uh, big country of Russia.
0: 11 time zones this country spans.
1: That's true, it really is big. And uh, so the people with the smog and the pollution and all those big buses and things, the air isn't real clean in the cities either. So they feel the need to come out in the country where there's fresh air.
0: The one the other day, uh, we were at the lady's house, the the canned goods, the, the fruit, the vegetables, I guess they grow everything.
1: Yeah, they enjoy that. They go out on the weekends and sometimes in the summer, they spend longer periods of time for their vacation. And they grow beautiful gardens, uh, like uh, with flowers and vegetables. And uh, it really is a nice place of retreat. She was bragging
0: about your artwork and I see some here. When did you become an artist?
2: Well, it started in Moskva. They were finally letting us sell our personal paintings. So I decided to give it a try. I first started sketching wildlife portraits, but then I was told by a professional artist that I need to expand on my work.
0: It looks like you did more than survive. I mean, your artwork is beautiful. Where, How do you sell it? Where do you sell it?
2: Yes, they bought them in Moskva, but not when I came back here. I had to pay someone to sell it for me. Before the profit was good. Now it's not worth it.
0: So how much? How much do you sell these to those people for, the people that come and buy from Moscow?
2: Depending if they buy the paintings in bulk. They will come and pick up 10 to 15 at once. They will pay about 6,000 a piece.
0: What needs to be done on this one yet?
2: It needs light right here. need to make it brighter. And here I need to make it a little darker. And I need to shade in the bird on one side, because there's light on this side and the other side won't have light. I just need to finish it up a little. How many years have you been an artist? I've been doing it since 1994.
0: As you can see, AWR is frontline mission radio. Our first priority is to travel where missionaries cannot go. We broadcast thousands of hours each day in 70 major languages of the world. AWR has the capability and capacity of blanketing almost 80% of the world's population. Not only do we broadcast via shortwave radio, but our signal is on over 1,000 FM and AM stations around the world as well. Our podcast subscribers, Internet users, satellite downlinks are growing rapidly, evidenced by the 100,000-plus emails, letters, and phone calls we receive each and every year. Yes, AWR is your mission radio no walls and no borders. For AWR that means change lives and change hearts around the world because God is using the airwaves of AWR to reach people everywhere. Yellow pipe. Yellow pipe everywhere. No matter where we've gone in Russia or Ukraine, we continue to see yellow pipe. Now we thought well maybe this is a gas pipe or something and they couldn't lay it underground because it freezes so deeply. If there was a problem, they couldn't dig it up. Or this or that. We thought all these different ideas, but no. When we found out it's actually because of communism and during that time, they just laid it in that way or set it up that way because it was cheap. No other reason. Just cheap. Didn't care if it was ugly because these are just workers. In Soviet times, one of the most important duties of trade unions was to obtain the land and distribute it among the members of the union. Since everyone was a member of a trade union, everyone had a chance to get the land. Of course, there were differences. The location, size and quality of both the land and the buildings were different for a worker and the director of his or her factory. During the time of the Soviet Union, collective farms were unable to produce enough food to feed the population, and the money for importing food was only sufficient to buy grain. The result was an official policy saying that citizens of the USSR were supposed to grow much of the food for themselves. These garden plots were formed as cooperatives, supervised by the trade unions. At that time, the land technically did not belong to the people. All the land was state, federal property. It was leased to trade unions and could not be sold. Another serious restriction was that the usage of this land had to be limited to growing things. One simply could not make a lawn on his or her land and enjoy the grass. That would be illegal and immediately would result in kicking the person out from the dacha cooperative and replacing him with a more devoted weekend farmer. No more than one dacha per family was allowed. The typical size of land given by the state to a family was about one-tenth of an acre. Statistics show that, today, more than 30% of Russian families have dachas. Traditionally, most of the land was distributed by the trade unions to the factory workers, although there were exceptions. Therefore, in many cities, the figures are even higher. The dacha was one of the key concepts of Russian life in both Soviet and post-Soviet times. These plots of land are both a resort and a slave master. Many of the dodges, or country homes, are very modest, like this one over my shoulder here. But there are some that are up to a million dollars. And I asked, how can people here afford a million dollar home? They said, well, people here don't make the kind of money you do in the United States, so it seems like it's a Russian secret, they say. No one really knows. You know, it seems like uh, when we're in the city and we're talking with some various people, everything's apartments. Right. Uh, Solid apartment buildings, but I noticed that depending on what uh, communist leader built them, they look a little bit different on the outside. It's
1: true. I've been told that you can tell the era that an apartment building is built. Uh, Each Russian leader had his own architectural style, and he had his own architects that planned these apartment buildings. For instance, I've heard that uh, under Khrushchev, the apartments were larger and a little more spacious and uh, under Brezhnev it was a little different in another way and so on and so forth.
0: That city we stopped in yesterday, those were really good looking apartments.
1: Yes, they are. The most modern ones uh, look I, very attractive. I guess that's after communism though. Yeah, that's true. But, but
0: I did notice, especially, the, well actually a couple of ladies we were in their apartments, the outside so drab and dingy, the stairwells mm-hmm, were horrible. Mm-hmm but you get into their apartment, it's all like a little oasis inside.
1: It's true, yes. The outside is not taken care of very well. It's improved now, I've seen on this trip, where outside they have more flowers and they even mow the grass. I remember uh, when some Russians came uh, to the US and I was teaching at Andrews University and uh, my wife and I met them at the airport and took them around. And the little girl was looking around And uh, all of a sudden, she turned to her mother, and she said, uh, look at all the parks. And all she was seeing were the mowed lawns of the people's houses. Valera and Tanya, you've got such a
0: pretty little home out here in the country, how long have you lived here?
2: Four years.
0: So this must be really nice to move from a city, at least unless you're a city boy, to come here in the country.
2: Yes, but you know, I used to come visit my grandmother. I came here when I had a break from school as a kid. I always wanted to be here. It's more of a peaceful life here at this location.
0: If your grandmother, this was her home, how many years then has this home been in the family? How many years has the family owned this property?
2: About 80 years. We had a house on this location, but during the communist times, they took our house. This is actually a barn. My grandfather was a carpenter and made furniture and things like that. He actually cut a few windows out. Right here, we had animals lying around.
0: The the family then lived here before communism. Then they lost a lot of this, but they hung on to the property? They were able to maintain the property itself?
2: Yes, they completely tore the house apart and took it all with them.
0: So the government could do anything they wanted to? Yes. How were you able to keep this little house here on the property?
2: Well, they only took the things they needed. Homes, fences, furniture. This was kind of like a little shack. Every house had it in their yard. They figured if they took our home, that would be it for us.
0: So this was the stables then? they, They made this the stable?
2: Yes, like I said. We added windows and just expanded it and guarded it with the fence
0: what did you do early in life uh, from say 18 years old and onward what what did you do
2: at 18 i finished school and started working after work i joined the army after the army i left for Moscow.
0: so you were in the russian army Uh, tell me about that what was that like
2: like the usual get up physical workouts breakfast later more strength training we built better buildings and better comfort for those in higher ranks than us
0: it sounds like you were in construction
2: yes i did that's where i received my construction profession
0: did you have to join or did you enlist no
2: i was forced i never wanted to join the army
0: what happened after the army what next
2: i worked for a factory as an electrician and fixed electrical problems
0: when i asked valera what it was like to be in the russian army I was expecting a certain answer, but the answer I got was not at all what I was expecting. But you know, a matter of fact, in any country, in any place in the world, war and peace are interesting things because war is never what you would expect. As you can see, things have changed in Russia.
3: Omar wanted to learn more about God. He had an emptiness in his soul and could not make sense of the troubles and problems in this world. One day, he listened to the Voice of Hope radio program, where he found insight, understanding, and hope. You can too. For FM and shortwave broadcast information, visit the website on your screen. One of the
1: favorite things people like about AWR is its stories. We have stories from all over the world. Some of them involve danger. Many of them involve miracles of God, but certainly all of them involve the miracle of changed lives. I've written a little book of some of the favorite stories. In the face of death, another, radios given by angels, coming to Christ in a Muslim country. These and many other stories
4: It's simple. Just log on to www.awr.org slash storybook, and you can download your free PDF version of stories from places where missionaries cannot go. Do it now, so you and your family can immediately enjoy these incredible testimonies of changed lives from around the world. So don't wait. Log on now to www.awr.org slash storybook.
3: I found the Voice of Hope radio program on my shortwave radio. It was like an oasis in the desert, cool and refreshing. I discovered things I had never known before. Now I understand God's will for my life and I have been blessed by walking in God's path. For the first time in my life, I am happy. To find the Voice of Hope radio in your area, visit the website on your screen.
0: You know, you can tell that uh, here there's still some elements of communism that remain, you know. Folks get a little upset when you're around and they get a little suspicious. Yes,
1: yes. That's true.
0: I noticed that folks normally won't look at you eye to eye on the street.
1: That's right. Mm -hmm.
0: But uh, there was a difference with the Christians. Every Christian we've met, they light up, they become friendly.
1: Yeah, they have a certain peace and calmness about them. It's just rewarding to see that. Yeah. What a change in their lives. So this young lady is your
0: wife. How many years have you been married?
2: We are married for four years. We were just going out for two years. And after two years, we decided to get married. And here we are, living together for six years.
0: Now I know that you're both Christians at this time. Were you Christians when you met?
4: Mm, yes. Well, Valera brought me to church. He showed me what the Bible says. I used to go to an Orthodox church, so I did hear about God a lot. And I listened
2: and listened, and little by little
4: I became an Adventist. Я слушала, слушала его, и так я, ну, даже как бы истину услышала истину.
1: this is the task that we have
5: to do.
1: It's the mission of Adventist World Radio.
5: It's
1: also the mission of this church here in Shulava. We're all working together
5: together
1: to share the gospel of Jesus Christ
5: because
1: Jesus is coming again and the most important sign of Jesus coming
5: is
1: the gospel going to the entire world. And we long for Jesus to come. Because Jesus will transform this world and make it a new and beautiful place.
5: Don't
1: you want to be part of that? Be ready for Jesus' coming. Raise your hand with
5: me. Mm -hmm.
1: Let us be faithful until the end. And may God bless each one of you.
5: Mm -hmm.
1: We will be praying for you as you carry on faithfully in this part of the world.
0: My listened to AWR and her heart was changed and she wanted to run right out and baptize herself in the river because nobody was around. And then she began sharing with you. What was it like when she began sharing Christ with you?
2: We didn't know where to churn, where the church is located. We did study and read, but we still didn't know where to churn and what to do. We did realize that we need to get baptized. We heard that as an Adventist you would have to be baptized. And since no one was around, yes, alone, we would have done it in the river.
0: If your mother hadn't found AWR, where would you be today?
2: I think I would have still done it, because I felt that it was faith, and it was meant to happen one day or another. And the Orthodox Church didn't get my attention at all. Something was missing. I didn't feel much from them. Reading the Bible, understanding it, that alone kept me closer to God and led me to Him.
0: Same question to you. If his mother hadn't found the AWR program and then shared with her son, and then with you, where would you be today?
4: You know, if God found me here in Azharach, He would have had found me in this family.
5: Yes,
2: I told her, but it all started with the Ten Commandments. She followed all of the commandments, except the fourth about Saturday, the Sabbath. I explained to her that Saturday was blessed by God, but she was confused. I brought her different books, brochures, and the Bible to show her that Saturday was blessed. She didn't believe me at first, but started reading, and later told me that I was right.
0: We may not have an opportunity to get down to the site where you're
2: baptized.
0: We may drive by it. Could you tell me, describe it to me a little bit, where you were baptized?
5: That
2: used to be a monastery. But we were told that there was no God back in the day. So they took the church down, and later it was just used for meetings and other things. Right beside that building was a little creek, covered up and very peaceful. So we decided to get baptized there.
5: In our
1: story today, Valera and Tatiana live in a small village in a small house. It was a building that had been a stable in times past. It's a humble circumstance. And yet, these people have so much talent, so much potential. We've seen that in the artwork that Valera has produced. But the most important thing I like about their story is how they described their commitment to the Bible, God's Word. I'd like today to invite you, viewers, to also commit your lives to Jesus Christ with the same depth of humble obedience that Tatiana and Valera have demonstrated. That is what Jesus wants us to do. And so right now, I invite you to make that decision and give your life to Jesus Christ.
0: If you'd like to know more about this phenomenal ministry that's reaching around the world, give us a call today. 1-866-503-3531 Or you can write us at 12501 Old Columbia Pike, Silver Spring, Maryland, 20904 Or log on to www.awr.org And thank you for watching. Please join us again for another exciting gospel adventure. Because as you can see around the world, AWR is making waves.